This episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, IBME. IBME provides in-depth mindfulness programs for teens and young adults, helping our kids learn awareness, compassion, and concentration practices. And these mindfulness practices help develop essential skills our kids need, such as deep listening skills, self-awareness, and communication skills. The courses not only teach mindfulness practices, they help teens apply them and create a community for our kids to work with. This summer, they have online courses and retreats, as well as an in-person retreat. They have programs like multiple teen and young adult retreats, community conversations around equity and interdependence, LGBTQIA teen and young adult retreat, and monthly rainbow family meditations, monthly meditations for communities of color, and so much more. You can get details and you can register at ibme.com. Just be sure to enter your email so you stay updated on new offerings as they frequently add new programs. That's ibme.com. Today's show is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America easy. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey making it incredibly easy to compare options and book your vacation, and letting Omeo save you time and money. I know I'm looking forward to using it to compare different ways of reaching the same destination on my next vacation. Are you ready to get out and travel? Omeo wants to help by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head over to omeo.com, O-M-I-O.com, and use the code LISTENER5, all in caps in the number 5, when you check out. The code's valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transportation at Omeo, where you can plan, book, and love your journey. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief coach and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, and just want to urge you to pop over to MightyParenting.com and just grab our free email series on how to talk to your teen. Real simple steps, the basic ideas to get you going in the right direction. We've heard a lot about how our teens and 20-somethings are struggling. We heard this before the pandemic. Throughout, we're hearing about it getting worse. Our kids are stressed, their anxiety is rising, and they just don't have the tools to manage their emotions and create emotional wellness for themselves. So today, we're talking tools. Christy Hugstat is the author of Be You Only Better, Real-Life Self-Care for Young Adults, and everyone else. And she's here to chat with me about what our kids can do to turn the tide, to feel better, and foster emotional wellness for themselves. Christy, welcome back to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, it's great. So I looked it up and you were actually here over a year ago. It was February of 2020, episode 111. (laughs) And Then you were talking to us about understanding depression. So I love that we're kind of backing up and going, okay, how do we manage that? What can we do ahead of time to to stop stop us from going down that road? So I appreciate you taking the time to come back. Oh, my pleasure. 
All right. So we have these teens. They are stressed. They're sad. They're anxious. They're depressed. What can we do for them? I mean, if they have already hit these emotional spots or mental wellness, you know, mental health issues, what kinds of things can we be helping them do for self-care that actually impact these issues? Well, there's so much that they can do. And a lot of what I write about in my book is preventative to, to prevent you from getting to that state where you have your anxiety is overwhelming or you're in a state of depression. So there are five different um, self-care tools that I discuss and implementing all five of them is what's really going to give you that self-care and that self-confidence that you really need. So, for example, the first one is physical. And I don't just mean, you know, get out there and run five miles. I mean, you need, you need to move your body every day. It can be 10 minutes. It can be half an hour. But physical activity is so important because all of these self-care tools actually do change your brain chemistry and make you happier. And then I discuss emotional self-care. And it's probably exactly what our, our teens think. It's not about controlling your emotions. It means becoming more in sync with your emotions and then allowing yourself to feel them. So, you know, people think, oh, emotional self-care, I need to, I need to rein it back in and, 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 not cry and not feel and, and show people that I'm tough and I'm strong. And it's exact, it's the exact opposite. And then social self-care. And that's really hard for our young people right now, because a lot of them are still learning virtually and, and we are wired and especially our teens, we're social animals. And to have that taken away um, really is affecting their, their psyche. So it's really important for our teens to maintain those social connections with family, friends, and, you know, make an effort, whether it's virtually or, you know, getting together with one or two people just to maintain that social connection. And then mental self-care is about keeping your mind sharp. And your brain is a muscle that requires activity and exercise to grow and develop. So, Things that stimulate your mind and your intellect, like reading, playing chess, writing, studying, taking up a new language. It's not just sitting there for an hour on your phone on social media, right? So you need that mental stimulation as well. And then the last one is financial self-care. And that's about budgeting, living within your means, trying to save some of your allowance and just not add to your already high levels of stress and anxiety. I love the way that you keep it very straightforward around these five areas. I, I coach women. So I'm talking to moms a lot of times for themselves about stress relief and self-care. So we're talking about the same things. And a lot of other people, when I talk to them, they don't necessarily cover these different areas and they certainly don't go into the financial aspect. That one's a little bit different. So I'd like to start there and talk about that just a little bit because you're using it, the term financial self-care. Can you explain a little bit for me 
how you think of this as self-care? Well, self-care is all about keeping yourself in balance in all these different areas. And I will speak from personal experience when I am not financially responsible. You know, if I'm using a credit card and thinking I'm not going to worry about it, it's there's 20% interest. And eventually, you know, once I'm out of college, I'll, I'll worry about it then. And what that does, it really increases your anxiety levels. And you may not make that connection that you're spending out of control or you're going out to lunch or dinner with, with friends or just spending money recklessly while you're shopping and then having that mindset that, well, I'll worry about that later. And it really does create anxiety and stress. And everything I talk about in my book is all about doing the opposite. So finances, you know, regardless if you're, you know, you're working part-time while you're going to school or you have an allowance or whatever that is, you need to have control of your money to have peace of mind. And I think you hit an important point there where part of it is control and also it's just the not pushing it off. I remember back in the day when you would get the once a month credit card statement or once a month bank statement. And it was so much more pressure than now where I pop in once a week and just take a quick look at how much have I put on the credit card because I put everything on the credit card. Like everybody else, I want my cash back. I want my points, you know? So even though I'm paying it off at the end of the month, I I'm putting it on the credit card, but I need to have an idea of, well, this is how much I, I budget for food. That's been a great one during the pandemic. (laughs) This is how much I budget for food. How much have we actually spent? And, and the other interesting piece for me in there is increases in anxiety tend to actually push us to spend more money oftentimes. Like we, you know, our, if our anxiety is up or we're feeling stressed, having to say no to ourselves or our kids or somebody else or our kids having to say no to their friends or, or no even to themselves, like I can't do this for myself, I can't get this for myself, it's too hard to do. Like that increases it more. So we actually, the anxiety around not keeping tabs on our money creates a situation where we spend more money, which creates more anxiety around the money. And we're just spiraling down this rabbit hole. Well, and what I'm finding for both teens and their parents, because I, I, I'm guilty of this, is when you're not in a good place emotionally, when you're isolated from your friends and you're struggling, you know, in school, trying to do everything virtually, you start to spend money emotionally just to try to make yourself feel better. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I tell people, adults and teens alike, quality over quantity. It's great. Go ahead and invest in some nice pieces, a nice pair of shoes, but one pair, you know, not 10 cheap pairs. So start thinking quality over quantity and get yourself in check. Am I doing emotional spending? Am I thinking this, that this purchase is going to make me feel better? That spur of the moment decision. You need to pause and take a few steps back and think, do I really need this? Or is this something I can do without? I know I saw a 
comment somewhere where someone suggested, they said, don't store your credit card information inside the shopping app or in your password vault. So make it so you actually have to go dig out the credit card to order something online, just as a way of curbing that impulse. They said, I think it was 30% impulse shopping had risen online during the pandemic. So I'm curious when it comes to this emotional spending, do you have other tips or other ways for us to know if if we're actually doing emotional spending? Like how do we know that's emotional spending versus something else? Well, I use what I call a three second pause rule. And like you said, if you have to, if you have to get off your phone and physically go and get your credit card to buy something on Amazon, you are allowing yourself that three second pause to think about, do I really need this? It takes it away from being an impulse, impulsive decision. So, you know, that's a really big part of self-care is to just stop, get yourself in the present moment, instead of just reacting on impulse, respond in a really um, informed manner. Like, you know what, I just paused for three seconds. I'm, I'm going to go back and put my credit card away because I was just acting on impulse and I'm going to feel better when I know I've saved that $30 and didn't buy something that I really didn't need. Yeah, I like that. And it makes us get up again, right? You said the other thing was to move. And and we're talking about all of this. It, listeners, I know, you know, Mighty Parents, we pre-record here. So in this moment with the pandemic, we don't know exactly how things are going to be. I am hoping that things continue to open up as they have been and that we're, you know, more more social, have more opportunity to get back to things that we enjoy doing in groups and together and outdoors and all of that. However, during this past year, physical movement has come to a screeching halt for many people. I know some people have gotten outdoors more because that's the only thing you can do. And I know in talking to people in in my own family, especially in the winter, as we went through the winter in Michigan, and thank goodness, you know, spring eventually came and we're able to get outside more. But really, there's just a lot less movement. What happens to us? What happens to our, our minds and our emotions and all those feelings when we don't move our bodies? Well, when we exercise, we are creating endorphins and serotonin. They're neurochemicals, happy chemicals in our brain. And you may notice that if you get outside, get some fresh air, some vitamin D, and you move your body, you always feel better when you're done. And you you reward yourself and you think to yourself, I'm so glad I did that. But there is a scientific reason behind that. It does change your brain chemistry and makes you happier. So you kind of have to think of it as, you know, a, a, a drug that you're creating and, and you're going to change your mood and your attitude by moving. So the key is, you know, I, I'm a fitness professional. I have a Pilates studio. And you know how many times I actually feel like working out in the last 20 years? Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm being honest, but I make myself do it because I know the end result is going to put me in a better mood. And it's basically going to save my day from total disaster. So I think that's why I put the science behind everything 
at the end of every chapter. So if you know that this is going to physically change your brain and your mood, you are going to have more incentive to start moving. And I love that. I mean, anytime I can get my nerdy side out, I've got my nerdy side, I got my little woo woo side, and I've got my (laughs) analytical piece. So your book hits all those points for me. And I love that. And I also appreciate the, what you just said there, when you said, you know, when we know it's going to actually change our chemistry and that we will feel better afterward, it also takes away the, I don't feel like it excuse. It's like, right. You don't feel like it now, but you'll feel like it once you get out there, once you start doing something. And you'll also be proud of yourself for making yourself do something that you would rather not, you know, and that is a good habit to start. Because like I said, there are very few times when I've ever felt like exercising, but it's a part of my daily routine. And I know I'm going to feel better once I'm done with whatever it is I'm I'm doing. So you just have to do it regardless of how you're feeling in the moment. And also take the pressure off yourself. I love to run down to the beach, right? And, and, And on a good day, I'll leave my house and I'll be gone for an hour. But on days when I really don't have it, I will just go outside in the sunshine, in the breeze, and I'll walk for 20 minutes. So cut yourself some slack. You don't always have to do a really vigorous workout routine. You can tailor it to how you're feeling. Well, that's where the feeling can come in, right? And it's almost your, you can almost do your three second pause in reverse. Like you said, oh, I, I can't even contemplate going down the beach going down to the beach for an hour. Like that just makes me want to crawl under the covers and curl up in a ball. And I can put on my shoes and walk around the block or walk in it. And if you're depressed, you know, if our child, if our kids are actually dealing with depression, they might not even be able to handle that. So, okay, come stand out in the yard with me or do a circle around the house, or let's go walk, you know, one lap around the apartment building, but like just a, a tiny thing and I, I find for myself, I, I trick myself with this, with the most common thing I actually do it with isn't about movement. It's about cleaning up the kitchen, doing dishes. It's like, okay, I'm putting my dishes in the dishwasher and all this stuff is stacked up here. I'm not cleaning up after everybody else. Well, I'll put this one thing in, or I left the dinner dishes last night because I had to race off and do something. And now they're still sitting there. Well, I'll just take care of this one thing. And that's like, well, okay, that's done. I can do one more. Well, that's done. I could do one more. And I feel like it's the same with walking. Well, okay. I went around the house. I'll walk down to the corner. Okay. I can go around the block. Like we can just tack on a little bit if we're okay with it. Like if we're up to it, but that movement in the serotonin endorphins, I feel like would make us feel up to it once we start going. Or you can even say, and I've done this too, you know what, I'm going to put on my my running shoes and I'm going to take out the garbage because that's a task that will make me feel like I've done something and I I got it out of the house and I'm going to check the mail and I'm going to just um, maybe walk a few blocks. And then once I get myself out and I'm dressed, I've got my shoes on, then I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to do this for 15 minutes. And sometimes I end up actually taking a run down to the beach. So I, I guess the, the, the key is just to get yourself out of outside, you know, and just maybe expect 10 minutes from yourself, you know, and then I'm going to get back and I'm going to land on a lawn chair and get 10 minutes of vitamin D, you know, so 
Well, and that's another piece too I was thinking of is if you actually physically get outside, even if you still can't make yourself go do something, and we're saying yourself, and I'm thinking of my kids because we can't make our kids go do anything, right? But we can invite them. We can invite them to come with us and we can share this with them. We can share this information. We can share your book with them and we can share that science of, I totally get you don't feel like this, honey. And physiologically, your body will change if you just do a little bit. So how about we put on our shoes and take the trash out together, or we put on our shoes and we walk to the corner together, or you can't stand the side of me. Fine. How about you put on your shoes and take out the trash or walk to the corner on your own? But even just getting outside, even if you're sitting or laying on the ground outside, there are going to be physical benefits to that too, right? Absolutely. Just getting out in nature actually does change your brain chemistry. You're listening to the birds, the breeze, uh, looking at trees, the water, a creek, whatever that is. That's also, also very therapeutic. So start there. You know, you don't have to even even say we're going to go for a walk. But I think the thing that's so important for young people is finding an activity that they enjoy. You know, my niece loves these online videos. Uh, It's a hip hop video. She loves to dance. So she will do that three or four times a week, but I would never get her to go on a walk with me. So find something you like, whether it's tennis, riding bikes, hiking, um, yoga, anything. And if it's a class that you can get online, that's great. But I think if they, especially teens, if they don't enjoy it and if they don't look forward to it, it's just not going to happen. Well, that makes all the sense in the world. Right. And that's also something I know with my daughter, that was one of the things that got her outside was outside was the way she could actually spend time with a couple of her friends. So they would go out and go for bike rides or walk the dog or something like that because they could be outdoors and stay a little bit distant from each other and have that socialization too, which means that now we're hitting, well, three points really, because they're outdoors, they're hitting your physical, and then they're also hitting that social self-care. Yes. And add some music to the mix and they're probably more apt to, to stay out longer. Hadn't thought of that one. So let's, let's direct this more toward our kids. I mean, yes, there, there's science or there's different things and we can come back and talk about those some more if we want. However, where I'm at now is how do we encourage our kids to do this? There's one thing we learned at Mighty Parenting and we have talked about it over and over and over again is we cannot make another human being do something. No matter how much we know this will help our child no matter how much happier they are when they do something like that, we can't make them do it. And sometimes even just being the one to bring it up or to, you know, we don't tend to just bring it up. We tend to push because we know how good it will be that backfires and then they dig in more. So what are some of the ways that we can actually encourage this in our kids? Well, I, you, you know, you nailed it because sometimes the last person that our youth want to hear what they should be doing is from their parents. But that is why when you kind of go at it from a different angle, um, it's going to change your brain chemistry. 
And, you know, you don't want to say, you know, it'll help you lose weight or get you in shape or whatever, because that can backfire as well. But I think if you just express your concern about the lack of movement, simply because you want them to have all the psychological benefits of feeling good and building their self-esteem and self-confidence, that's a better place to come from. Like say, and, and, and don't tell them you need to get out and move. Just notice an observation, you know, um, um, Jeremy, you know, I noticed that you've been spending a lot of time in your room and, you know, you're on social media a lot and you're missing our, our family dinners. What's going on? you know, to open up the dialogue. So maybe come at it from a different direction instead of, you know, your, your skin's breaking out, you've gained 20 pounds during this quarantine, you're depressed, you're not coming out of your room. Maybe more like, how can I help? What's going on? And start the conversation with just why they can't imagine exercising because they are depressed and then kind of take it from there. So um, you kind of have to get to the root of the problem first, and then maybe start out with, you know, what can I do to help you feel better? And as you were talking, I also had the thought that in addition to being able to start a conversation, maybe we can also create opportunities. So if our family has been getting together lately to watch a movie, well, if we get together to play a game, now we can be hitting on both the social, which is family, not friends, but it's still human contact. So we can hit on the social and the mental self-care. I know our family has gotten into bananagrams. Right. I don't know what it is about it, but we're just kind of addicted to it. And, and we play it different ways. You know, we play cooperative. Like when we play Scrabble, we never keep track of points. We trade letters. We help each other make words. My my parents, my dad goes nuts when we make him play Scrabble with us because it's supposed to be a competition and a game. And right. we just don't play that way. But it's still, it's got our minds working. Or if one person's doing a crossword puzzle, if, you know, if I'm doing it, just reading clues out loud, hey, you know, what's a six letter word for whatever, a bird that sings? I don't know. But I think we can maybe create opportunities and again, we can look at things like, okay, I'm thinking about how you said starting conversations. Another conversation that came to mind when you were talking about that was, what have you been missing? We, we've been locked down for a long time. And yes, things are changing now. What have you really missed? And then brainstorm with them a little bit about how to get some of that back. Like I talked about the idea of, okay, you missed your friends. Well, what could you do with your friends? And maybe their friend, part of the reason they're missing their friends is because you have 20 somethings and everyone's studying from college virtually, or now they're just home for the summer and they don't have friends in that area anymore. So now it's, well, get your friend on the phone and go for a walk. Like both of you go outside, go for a walk and just do it via the phone. Well, and when they're not feeling at, on the top of their game, they're, they need, it may sound so basic. Well, call them up, you know, get together, go for a walk. And it, it seems so obvious what the solution is to missing your friends. But when you're have anxiety, maybe a little bit of a low mood, 
you can't even come up with that. So I, I love what you said about first making the connection with your child. And I love playing games. That's what we do because uh, teens don't want to sit and listen to adult conversations. So even if the adults don't want to play whatever games that the, the uh, young people want to play, we play them. And then that establishes that connection so that you can take the next step. So I love what you said about, you know, including them at family dinners and whatever with what they want to do and then taking it from there. So now they have, you have a connection. Now they have a certain trust with you and they know that you care. And then you can go to, okay, you know, what can you do to make yourself feel more connected with your friends? Mm -hmm. And those family dinners, you've mentioned it a few times. Maybe that's an opportunity too, to bring up the science. And I say this all the time on the show, blame it on me. I was listening to Mighty Parenting and they were talking about the science of what happens in our bodies when we talk with, when we meet with other people, when we have physical activity, when we are actually using our brains first off. And it was so interesting. Did you know, and then share some of that. And just get the, it gets the conversation going, or even if it doesn't get the conversation going, it's a way of imparting some of that information at a time where we're not trying to push them into do some, push them into doing something, or we think we're encouraging, but it feels like pushing to them. Well, and that's why in the sugar chapter, and you, you probably noticed, I don't go real heavy into nutrition, you know, eat green leafy vegetables and fruit and basic stuff. My whole thing is just start by cutting out the sugar. And in that chapter alone, when adults read it, they there it scares them into cutting back on sugar because it tells you in detail what it actually does to you. And um, the sugar addiction and all the energy drinks that our teens are consuming because they are a little bit depressed and they're so therefore they're not sleeping and they think that the energy drinks and the sodas are going to give them energy. So that whole chapter of the science of what consuming too much sugar actually does to you uh, really kind of scares people into, I am never drinking another soda again or an energy drink. So that's why I love that idea of discussing the actual science because then it's not like you're lecturing them you know, for no reason, like you really, you should eat healthier and you really should start moving. So I love that idea of just talking about the science. Well, and I'm glad that you brought up the sodas and the energy drinks, because that was on my must discuss list. That was the next thing I wanted to talk about. And I I know we're not going to go into all the detail, but I loved the way you Uh, detailed out the response in our body for that hour after drinking a single Coke. It, it was absolutely fascinating. And even to my, my daughters and I, and we knew some of this, we'd looked at some of this before, but to see all those stages that we go through and, and your comment that after all this happens and the rave inside your body dies down. And I'm like, that was such an apt term to call what was happening inside our bodies a rave because after reading it, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what's going on. But like you just said, our kids, when, when they're feeling sluggish, if they're feeling depressed, the thing they go for is an energy drink or just we're feeling a little down. It, sugar is a pick-me-up. There's a reason we get addicted to that stuff. And so 
knowing that grabbing that Coke or, and I'm using that, but it's any sugar, sugary caffeinated drink is really going to not only physiologically, you know, create these momentary changes in our body where we have the upsurge, but it leaves us on the back end of that worse off than before we drank it. That was the thing that I really wanted to make sure that we shared today was that you showed us that we need to let our kids know that. And we need to know that, that, yeah, I think, oh, I need to get this. I need to drink this pop because I need the boost. I need the pick me up, but it's going to pick you up and then it's going to drop you lower than you were. So if we can't do that, what can we do? Well, I, I love that, you know, you're taking that full circle. You're addicted to the sugar because your energy's low and you may have a test in two hours and you can't, you can hardly stay awake. And then, you know, an hour later you crash and that's when your test is. And now you can barely focus, you know, and to answer the questions. So because sugar is so addicting and now you need two Cokes a day to get that same effect. And then three, and then four, I have clients that have up to 10 sodas a day and they are addicted to it. And it's not just teens, it's adults as well. But what happens is that vicious cycle of the sugar addiction affects your sleep. It affects your mood. It's your, your blood sugar, everything. And so you have to substitute that and just hydrate your body with lemon water or, um, you know, something without caffeine and chemicals so that you can sleep at night and, and get out of that vicious loop of just bad physical and emotional health. So let me see if I understand this. What we're saying then is if, if we focus on eating healthier foods, drinking hydrating liquids and hitting as many of these self-care areas as we can. So all of this lets us sleep better. We won't feel this need so much for those sugary drinks. Cause we won't, we won't have those so much of the, we won't have those deep valleys where we really need the big pick me up. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely true. All of these self-care tools are interconnected and they all feed off each other. So you may not, you, you know, I don't categorize them and sleep, cutting out sugar, um, getting out in nature, being mindful, being grateful because they all are interconnected. But the most important one starts with sleep. And we know as adults, you may have one bad night of sleep. Your next day is totally ruined. That's when you get in a car accident, you lose your keys you're, you know, you snap at your children. So, you know, then you go, then you reach for that sugar because you're tired and then you don't want to exercise and you're not grateful. So they're all interconnected. And I think even the sugar backing off the sugar and staying hydrated and, and getting off that caffeine goes back to self-care tool. Number one, get adequate, good sleep. Mm-hmm. And so I can attest to this when I was in college, I didn't know anything about sugar, caffeine. I didn't realize that caffeine actually dehydrated you. So my drink of choice was Pepsi. And I just 
like I always have water with me now. I always had Pepsi with me then and I would get headaches. And my now husband, when I met him, he's like, well, yeah, you get headaches. Have you ever drank a glass of water? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what does that have to do with anything? He's like, honey, you're dehydrated. You have to drink water. But I didn't know it. No one, either the people around me didn't know or didn't think to tell me or didn't realize that, you know, once I got into college, that this was my, like my exclusive form of hydration was Pepsi. And so I started switching over. And then when I was working, I wasn't drinking a lot, but I was doing that morning caffeine and I took my caffeine cold. So I would have a soda with my breakfast at work when everyone else was having coffee. And then eventually I just realized how bad the soda was for me. So I stopped. And the really interesting thing is what you said happens did happen. I didn't wake up in the morning having to drag myself through the day every single day. Yes. If I didn't get a good night's sleep, that would happen. But on a regular basis, I didn't wake up like trying to grab for the caffeine because I wasn't starting out in that hole. Well, and nobody probably told you, and I felt I did the same thing. I drank Mountain Dew every day and there were days I had seven of them, but in my head at that age, that it was a fluid. Yeah. To me, it was water as well. So if I was thirsty, I had another Mountain Dew. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Girl after my own heart. (laughs) But nobody, we didn't learn that in school. Nobody taught us that. We didn't understand. And that's why I put the science behind all of it, because our teens and the parents and adults, teachers, we all need to be on the same page and understand what's going on. And the self-care tools are the way to do that. Yeah. And so depending on your family, on your kids, one of the things that I do is I these wonderful books that I get to read from our guests, I'll just leave certain ones sitting on the coffee table and somebody will pick it up or, you know, I'll sticky note certain pages and someone will eventually pick it up and start, you know, just sort of looking through it or ask me about it or, you know, what's this one about? And that just gives me again, that opportunity to say, well, I learned this. The one thing I have learned about doing that though, is to not pick my battles, but to pick my point and just share like one thing that I learned from this book or this guest. So again, mighty parents, if you're going, oh my gosh, I was listening to the podcast and they said this and this and this and this and that, probably not a good idea. But I was listening to Sandy talking to this amazing Christy on the podcast and they shared this story about how all they drank in college was pop and what it did to them and how crabby it made them and how miserable they were. And it got me thinking. (laughs) Well, and you know, the parents don't really, if they see their kid, their child drinking a, of course, Diet Coke, I thought, well, then I'm not going to gain weight. Well, yeah, Uh, that was my cold caffeine in the morning. (laughs) I could have as many as long as it's diet. But what what they don't understand is um, they, parents are thinking, well, at least that's the worst habit my son or daughter has. They're not doing drugs. They're not partying you know, whatever. So it's kind of an exchange system because they're thinking, I don't want to bug them about drinking four sodas a day because my child is a good student and doesn't get in trouble. And so I'm choosing my battles. 
you know, so that mentality has to change too. And again, just do it with, Hey, you know, I noticed you're having three or four Cokes every day. You know, I used to do that. And I, I had six cups of coffee in the morning and here's, here's what happens. You know, I, I, here's the signs behind that. And let's do this together. I'm going to cut back on my coffee consumption. And maybe you can start by just not, you know, giving up one soda a day and let's do this together. Or even if we don't suggest what they do, if we just start with us, because the best way to get our kids to change anything is to model it. So, you know, I was listening to this show and I realized that I'm making it harder for myself to feel good. And I also want to just quickly go back to the point you just made, Christy, where you said, we think, oh, this is the worst habit my kid has. They're not doing drugs. They're not thrill seeking. They're not, they're not drinking. They're not whatever. And what we're talking about in this show is not micromanaging our kids. We're talking about creating an environment where we encourage for everybody in our household, good emotional wellness habits and good emotional wellness habits are what keep us from having the desire to go out and get wasted on drugs and alcohol and thrill seeking and self-harm and all those things. In general, what we're hearing over and over and over from our experts is for most kids who get into trouble with that, either one, that there's the whole physical addiction piece and, you know, maybe they tried drugs because of peer pressure and things like that. And a, a huge portion of our kids are doing it because they don't feel good. It's an, it's, they're trying to stem this emotional problem they're having. So here we are going way up front, going, let's all work. Let's tend to our emotional mental wellness. Let's take care of our bodies, our beings on all levels. So that our kids and us, so we don't have the need to use these behaviors and these substances to feel better because we already feel better. So that is actually the hill we want to climb here with our kids. We don't want to wait until the hill is drugs and alcohol and self-harm and thrill-seeking. We want to model it and do it. And, and this might be the thing that we need. I, you know, this might just be the impetus we need. All right, I need to model this for my kids. That's the thing that gets me to stop eating ice cream or go, I know what I need to do. I know I need to do my yoga nidra meditation. I know I need to get out and do a walk. And I, I don't feel like doing that. And as a mom, it's like, I need to model this for them. And I need to do this so I can be the person I want to be for them. So a little bit of a soapbox moment, but mighty <laughs> parenting is we're going upstream. Let's, let's move this whole, you know, let's move all these actions upstream. So we're not, so we're not talking to my guests about what it's like to parent an addicted child and be with them. I have beautiful people who've shared that. Christy, you came on, you shared your depression story and what happened in your life. And we just, we don't want people to have to go through that. And I love that you've, you've moved your conversation upstream going, okay, you know, how can we prevent that? And also if we're, if we're there, like, what can we do to help ourselves? Well, and that's why when I first wrote the book, my subtitle was real life self-care for young adults, because I want to start with our youth. So they create good habits at an early age. And then I thought, no, but I really want to start with the parents. So I added in parentheses and everyone else, because as you just pointed out, 
it needs to start with the parents. Most of the adults that read my book, they, they're blown away. They are pretty much negligent in almost every self-care area. And you are right. We as adults, parents, teachers, administrators need to be the role models. So actually, I think that my book, first and foremost, is for parents. In everything we do here is I, I know, you know, we tune in and we listen, I talk to my guests and parents tune in because they want to know how to deal with this issue with their teen. And we keep hearing over and over and over again, how we need to manage ourselves. We need to learn these skills. We need to practice these things so we can one model it for our kids and to be the person who can really be there for our kids. So thank you for joining us today, for sharing this. Where can listeners find you online? My website is thegriefgirl.com. And I really appreciate all that you shared with us here today, Christy. Thank you. And Mighty Parents, mindfulness is an amazing self-care tool. And our sponsor, Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, has amazing programs for our teens and young adults. They can learn mindfulness techniques and also practice them in community. Whether it's a retreat, a monthly program, or their online course, IBME is changing lives. Their summer retreats, including both their online and in-person retreat, are coming up in July, so go to ibme.com to get the details. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for their emails so you can stay informed of all their great programming. And remember, you're here, you're listening, you are a mighty parent. You got this, and I will see you next week. <laughs>